0: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is Mark Molina, CEO of Molina Leadership Solutions. We are continuing this day with our ongoing Women in Leadership series. This is a year-long project. We have with us today Sharon Musgrove. We are talking to Sharon, who is currently in Hawaii. And I'm going to begin by reading her bio. Sharon Musgrove is a Christian inspirational writer with a focus on encouraging the disheartened to take hold of their faith and trust in the love of God. Sharon believes that people are more alike than different and that pain can bring us together rather than dividing us if we are willing to stay sensitive. Sharon's work history has focused on supporting those who seek a healthier life, spanning years as a CNA, certified specialist in fitness nutrition, funeral service bookkeeper, and more recently as a relapse prevention specialist and teacher in residential recovery programs. It was during her employment in the Women's Life Change program at the Eugene Mission that Sharon began writing the curriculum and Bible devotions she was teaching. This skill is what she continues to practice today through her faith-based blog post. Since 2019, Sharon's devotionals have been published on electronic media and is soon to be under contract for a devotional book of collaborative effort with other authors. Sharon was born in San Francisco, but moved to Portland, Oregon at the age of three. Her father moved the family to Eugene in 1983 when he began when he gained employment as a pastor. It was in that church where Sharon met, fell in love, and married her husband, Jeff Musgrove. They just celebrated 28 years together. Jeff is Sharon's number one fan. Together, they have raised two children, John and Natalie, to early adulthood and continue to be active, supportive parents Sharon's extended family, her two sisters and mother, also continue to live in Oregon. Jeff's recent retirement has given the couple the ability to move toward their common dream of gifting rest, vacation time, to missionaries and pastors who would otherwise be unable to afford it. This winter, they purchased a vacation property on Hawaii's Big Island with this intent in mind. Other notables, Sharon was an active volunteer in the classroom, PTA and site council at Crest Drive Elementary School while her kids were in grade school. She was president of the Eugene Downtown Lioness prior to the organization's assimilation into the Lions Club. Sharon also volunteered at the Eugene Mission and Ashes to Beauty. She's been on the board of Pasha's Pasha's hopeful steps and is currently on the board of Ashes to Beauty. Sharon was privileged to serve the Maasai. Mm Uh, Sharon was privileged to serve, as the Maasai, to serve the Maasai communities during four short-term mission trips to Kenya and Tanzania from 2007 to 2011. Partnering with Precious Life International, she worked with a team providing basic medical care and spoke to young men and to young women in girls' leadership camps. In 2010, Sharon completed two bodybuilding shows in the over 40 women's figure division. A back injury in 2011 ended her short athletic career, turning her injury her energies to mental, emotional, and spiritual strength training. Sharon Musgrove, good morning. Welcome uh, from Springfield, Oregon, to the beautiful state of Hawaii. Thank you for appearing in the Women in Leadership Series from Molina Leadership Solutions. How are things over, going over there across the Pacific Ocean?
1: Good morning, Mark. Thank you. Uh, things are lovely. Um, you know as they call it paradise over here um, I'm not sure if that's quite um, the right word for it but it is pretty darn close
0: <laughs> now how long has have you YouTube been over there currently
1: uh, we flew over on December the 30th so we purchased our new home over here uh, the first of December and came over just as soon as we could after Christmas to get things up and running
0: so what kind of things are you looking to do to prepare uh, your new home there to receive missionaries and clergy for
1: rest? Well, um, initially when we arrived, we had, we found we had a water leak. And so um, that was the number one priority was to get that um, repaired, the damage remediated and repaired. Um, but I, I think the primary, um, the primary concern for me is, Comfortable, you know that comfort, that it feels restful, that the atmosphere that is here is conducive to um, relaxation. Um, so, color scheme, water flow, you know, all of those, all of those things. Now,
0: is that residence you just purchased close to the ocean, uh, ocean
1: front, or beach? It's not ocean front. We do have a view. We have a sunset view. Um, but, and we are within walking distance of the ocean. So um, if, you, if you're listening at night, you can hear the sound of the waves um, and you can certainly watch it, but um, you have to, you have to put on to your tennis shoes to get to it.
0: Well, you know, that's such an admirable gift, the ability to being in a place where you and your husband are financially that you could make that kind of purchase with the intent of gifting rest the idea of spiritual rest, physical rest, emotional rest, to missionaries out in the mission field and other clergy. When did you to get this idea? How long has that been bubbling up within you?
1: Well, um, we started coming over to the islands in 94. And that was there was a convention over here uh, for Jeff and um, just kind of fell in love with um, I think probably the climate primarily, um, but we decided pretty early on in our marriage that we would try and get over here as often as we could just because we were receiving what we needed um, to rest and to refuel, to go back um, home to, to business. Um, so it was once we started looking towards retirement, probably honestly 10 years ago, or so, um, we started talking about if we could snowbird somewhere, where would we go? And anytime we were away from home, Jeff would ask me this question. If we could go, any, you know, if we could have a place anywhere, where would you want it to be? And my answer was always Hawaii. And at one point I asked him, why do you keep asking me the same question? And um, his response was, well, I looked into it and it was too expensive. And I was infuriated um, that he would look into it without me, you know, that he would do that. Um, But from that point on, um, we said, you know, if this is important to us, then it needs to be, we need to actively figure out how it can work. And a friend of mine um, pointed the direction to a, a network, a Christian hospitality network, that um, that kind of clued us into the idea of missionaries needing assistance and not really receiving uh, rest when they're home because they are fundraising or giving reports or um, you know doing sort of jumping through the hoops of have tos and not really refueling and uh, so we looked into the possibility of joining the christian hospitality network um, but by the time that we were getting closer to retirement for ourselves, that uh, network, uh, the founder of it had died and there didn't seem to be forward progress with it. And we we weren't sure exactly what things were going to look like for us, but we just decided we're just going to move forward and just see how this goes and not try and control it. And that's kind of been, that's kind of been the path. We're just walking it and um, having faith that it will, it'll work out.
0: There's a lot to talk about. And I definitely want to get to your writing and some of these other areas of service. But since we're on the issue now, how did you and Jeff work through the ideas of, you're infuriated, he researched it without you. How did you guys (laughs) come to a place where you needed to work together on that? excuse me, and that why, how did you express that I'm important in this process, I'm important in this search? Because it's your young couple, I'm assuming, newly married or thereabout. So we have these growth moments and relationally, how did you guys come together to establish communication around this point?
1: Well, I think honestly, I think that we had been married probably 20 years by that point, um, because we were, you know, looking more specifically at what does retirement look like for us? And Jeff, as a business owner, um, his his partner, his brother and partner, um, is seven years older than Jeff. And so retirement looked, you know, Jeff was a younger, would be a younger retiree. Um, but in that moment of, of him saying, oh, well, I looked into it and it's too expensive, um, in my in my anger, my response actually was sort of, um, well, not sort of. It actually was, "How how dare you?" You know, proceed without me. But also, if God put a specific place in your heart and a specific place in my heart, that you know, that's not coincidence. I mean, it could have been vague. You know, I want this climate or, you know, this part of the world or or something, but it wasn't. It was specifically Hawaii. And honestly, we were looking at Poipu on on Kauai rather than um, the big island where we settled. Um, But that was one of we knew that going forward that there were going to be some compromises along the way and uh, adjustments on our part. So um, we're not disappointed where we have landed for sure. Um, but that was, he has been, I think in my bio, I, I mentioned that he's my number one fan and that has been very true through all of the things that I have, um, done in my life, that he has been the one behind me saying, I believe in you. Yes, you can. And he's, so he's listened to me. He's valued me as a partner. And, um, that has been huge for me as a, as a woman, as a wife, as an individual to have someone backing me with that kind of confidence.
0: Now, how much longer do you think, how much more prep time do you think you'll need before things are as you want them to appear for the sake of rest, for those that you wanna allow to come into your home? How much longer do you think you'll need?
1: Well, we are here until March the 4th. And then we go back to Oregon. So um, it needs to be ready to go. Um, one of the compromises we did make with this property is that it was more expensive than we were prepared to pay. And to be fronting in some in some way somebody else's rest and you know a vacation property for us. We had to figure out how financially that was going to work, and um, we weren't we weren't looking to open a nonprofit. So I, you know, we didn't as retire as recent retirees we didn't want to start another business basically, even if it's not for profit. So um, we we did purchase this home that was more expensive, and it came with a um, short term vacation rental license that could be transferred from owner to owner, was grandfathered in. And it, the home is in a residential zone, which doesn't current, residential zones are very difficult to get short-term vacation rentals now. They're really not doing that. and um, But this house has that. And so we are utilizing that to help offset the cost of the home itself and to help us with with our goal of um, of gifting.
0: And when do you think, uh, the goal, with their goal of gifting in mind, when does it look like that will actually begin to take place?
1: Well, on the books, technically right now, um, we've got um, a young couple who are getting married and are gonna be spending their honeymoon over here in uh, the first week, last week of July, early August. And they are part of the CREW organization, which is a campus ministry organization and so we've got one already on the books so that's that's exciting
0: that's very exciting you started visiting there in 1994 I was there in 1994 25th infantry division in Oahu Uh, love the climate love the weather it's uh, it's it is such a restful place when you when you get the chance to go now let's pivot a little bit i would really like to talk i want to hear some expansion i want to delve in to your christian inspirational writing with your focus on encouraging the disheartened and how you're encouraging them to take hold of their faith and trust in the love of god let's talk about those three things the focus on encouragement of distant being while they're disheartened taking hold of their faith and putting their trust in the love of god okay so let's begin with your emphasis on encouraging an encouragement
1: okay i think that um you know i just am drawing from my own life and from um i think maybe my own needs and my own strengths which are often the same coin <laughs> um i In the things that I have done, and I think specifically um, looking at two, the girls' leadership camp, the Maasai girls' leadership camp that that I participated in, and in Women's Life Change and Ashes to Beauty, um, those uh, recovery programs, the need to build people up um, is universal. And I know from my own personal experience, my own life, that I need building up that I need people to to walk alongside me and to um, to hold my hand when I'm going through the tough stuff and to say you're you're okay during the tough stuff And to find the encouragement, um, I think as we kind of move forward into the next the, the God's word is about, Affirmations, and and that is something that we can draw from when we're not with people, um, when we're on our own. That that is something that is available to most people around the world. Not everyone.
0: Well, let's talk about this concept of God's word is about affirmations. I'd like you to expand on that a little, um, because. You know, there's a lot of books out there already. There's a lot of expressions out there. What does that mean to you about the word of God being about affirmations?
1: Well, I think that His love, His unconditional love, is an affirmation of no matter what you do, no matter what you say, you can be forgiven. That He loves you. That He's offering forgiveness. Um, and that is something that we all need. Um, that we are all uh, broken. And uh, I, I'm trying to remember the scripture exactly that talks about Jesus being our yes, and which is obviously an, an affirmation word. you know, when so much of life is a no, no, not you, no, not, you know, not this, not that, and Christ is affirming us by um, by His love for us and His willingness to do what it takes to reconcile us to Him.
0: I believe it says all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. Mm-hmm. He is the yes and the amen. Now, talk about part point two: how you encourage them to take hold of their faith. Those that you reach out to you in your blogs, in your future writing? What does that look like to you?
1: Well, um, in my writings, typically I am writing about something that is happening in my life currently. Occasionally I write about um, things that have happened in the past or a combination of the two, um, specific hardships and um, difficulties, and the affirmations scripturally that Keep my hope alive and keep my spirit uplifted. Um, so it is the the writing piece itself might be a journey of this is the difficulty, this is the low that it took me in, you know, this is what I took hold of this particular word from God, and um, and that I can have hope going forward because because of this.
0: You know, I, I think it's really critical, and I appreciate that because. How we serve others really is, really does come out of our pain and the things we've learned along the way in life and our own individual journeys and the struggles and getting from one side of the pit, so to speak, or the valley or the darkness to the other side and all that we learned along the way is really what we have to teach and impart and to give to others. And one of the things that I like about your writing, Sharon, is that it isn't, It's profound because it's from you. It's coming out of you. It's the expression of who you are and what you've learned in this difficult place and how that lesson, you're trying to give that lesson to someone else to help them stay on their course to not give up and to not give in to whatever the the pain is and to continue to believe in themselves and to move forward. And I wanted to add that because I think it's really important we, we come back to someone like you. You're an aspiring writer. You're about to go into contract. You are writing a blog. People are following you. People are responding to you. And I guess my contention, not with you, but sometimes in our American c- culture of consumerism, we look for someone who's been to a dynamic academic university that has these incredible accolades, And we forget in the hopeful, soft, simple, engaging messages that we as people have to offer to others and that they're real and that they're viable, they are legitimate and they can make a difference. And you are definitely doing that to this point. And I wanted to say that for the record, right? You don't have, you're not schooled. You haven't been to some writing school or some university where you have English and all these other areas you haven't been on staff at a major university but there is no doubt that what you're writing is very practical and very real and very useful in that moment and in that time as you're encouraging others so let's talk about as you encourage people you're encouraging them as they're disheartened you're encouraging them to take hold of their faith and now you're encouraging, encouraging them. I apologize, to trust in the love of God. What does that look like to you, and why? What is that final component so necessary?
1: Well, um, again, as I'm you know walking through my life, there have been points in time or decisions in time that I have had to make, and I, I sort of consider them as tent pegs um, stakes in the ground that, um, that are firmly established that are going to are, are foundational to remaining in faith. And, um, one of, one of those, um, I would say more of one of the latter of those is that God is love, that God is good. And that regardless of what we think or what we feel, um, or even what we see that that foundational, that tent peg that he is good is, is vital to our continuing in relationship with him and not pulling up.
0: How do you express that in your writing?
1: I think again, it comes back to example that um, this negative thing happened or what what looks, what this painful thing happened, but this is what resulted out of it. This good thing bloomed out of the compost of the crappy thing, um, you know, that, that you have to look at, you have to want to even look at the beautiful things really kind of longer than you're looking at the ugly things. And we have a tendency to stare in horror, you know, at the horrible things and to get stuck there. Um, but you know God's systems are recovery systems. That God's way is that dead things go away and and fertilize. You know the the beauty in life, and um, so that is nature is one way that I see God working. Um, but in the lives of of human
0: beings as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. For those that are listening and will see this, I have not sent Sharon any questions. And that was intentional because I know her heart is deep uh, for what she writes about. And I wanted to grow go through this process with her to help draw all of it out naturally and organically. You said God is love, God is good. It's undeniable. It is a firmly established foundational truth, a tent peg in the ground. We have to, you express yourself through examples and that we need to look at the beautiful things longer than we look at the ugly things. And that God's systems are recovery systems. And in what you do, I think that's very important and very dynamic for us to remember that that God wants us to recover. He wants us to find that place of health and healing and hope and not to stay in a dark and ugly place. Yes. What, have, what are some of the feedback you've been receiving up to this point on the new blog that you've been writing around some of these components of encouraging the disheartened, uh, reaching, teaching people to take hold of their faith and to trust in the love of God.
1: I receive primarily thank yous for the reminders, you know, that, that a good portion of my readers are um, already have a faith base that they are um, drawing from. And so, or if they're subscribed to my blog, um, they are faith and they have a strong faith already. But need that encouragement, need that reminder, and honestly, I need the reminder, and that is what I have found in writing is that it builds me up. So, um, it's that is the number one thing that I you know, that I get. Thank you for the encouragement. I really needed that right now. That was the perfect thing. Just you know that that type of of feedback,
0: and with that feedback does it affirm the work that you're doing? Do you feel like the, the intent of what you have begun is indeed bearing fruit?
1: Yes. Now, what is the name of your blog? It's sharonmusgrove.com.
0: sharonmusgrove.com.
1: So the tagline is untethered.
0: There it is. That's what I was looking for. I couldn't remember that, the... that
1: isn't tech, That isn't in my address, but that's the, and I drew that, I, I picked that word um, because of the time in my life that I started, which was just a year ago, honestly, we're coming up on a year. Um, that retirement had just, you know, we just walked into that, looking into a new season of life. My kids were in school or graduating school. Um, and it just felt like, you know, the sky was the limit. And so, um, and being free, um, faith, you know, to, to use that with faith, to be free, living free in Christ, what does that look like? How does, you know, how does that, how does that feel? How does, you know, for me specifically, but then how do I write that so that other people um,
0: can partake in it too. I appreciate that. You know, for Sharon and I share the a common, the common faith of biblical Christianity, so we are, we're probably going to talk about this a little bit for those that are going to be watching, and who will see this later. And this is important because we, regardless of who an individual is or why they're writing, they have to write for the reasons that's within them. And I was just about to ask you why the word untethered. When you went in that explanation, I appreciate that untethered. It was a new season of life. Your kids had moved on, you're newly retired, and you felt like the sky was the limit. What what were you gonna be able to do with your freedom, your freedom in Christ, your freedom to write articles of faith, blogs of faith? And now here you are with this opportunity to be under contract to continue with this writing. So somewhere along the line, things are going pretty good with how, how you're expressing yourself through the examples in your writing. Are you going through any informal training or you just, everything's straightforward from the heart?
1: Uh, Well, I have, so I have a cousin who is a um, Christian fiction writer and i reached out to her initially because i had um i i had a novel on my heart that started years ago and um and had decided when um at the end of my last job that i would write this novel and it was a you know faith christian based novel and so i reached out to her to ask you know how do i how do i move forward with writing you know i and so she recommended the American Christian Fiction Writers Association. And I joined the association and they had some, um, some online resources and books and, and a lot of people to help with questions. You know, you could get into chat groups and, and whatnot. So um, I that's how I started. Um, and early on in that first year, um, one of an editor in the group threw out a question, you know, is anyone out there willing to do devotionals? And I thought, well, oh, Hey, I, I could do devotionals, you know, but, but I wasn't writing that at the time had been writing them, you know, in the life change program. Um, but this was, you know, just was something, well, I can do that. And so I applied and she asked for, Samples and accepted me, and so that that's how that started. And that connection with her has really been helpful. She said, "Why don't you take a look at this organization or that organization or that group that you know?" She's she's always sharing what she knows and and who's out there. So that's how um, that's how that path came about.
0: You know I really like that. I like hearing that you, you reached out, you had some questions. It's really not that complicated. Right? Right. And so you inserted yourself into some necessary conversations with some legitimate experts, so to speak. And the opportunity presented itself to write some devotionals, and you said yes and you're off and running. And this uh, this dream that you had with this expression of the sky was the limit, here you are beginning walking that out because you put yourself in a place where you could say yes. Right? Right. I was writing for the local newspaper down in South Texas, a weekly column of faith. And I want to affirm what you're saying, and this is why I'm bringing this up. Because I... Someone had wrote an, wrote an article of faith, and I was really upset with the parallels and the metaphors that were utilized. And I reached out to the paper and shared with them that, that the parallels were not biblically accurate, they were not correct. And they said, "Well, do you would you like to write the article and we'd like to see if you can do better?" And I said, "Yes, I would." And so they had me write a sample article, and then the editor contacted me and asked me if I would be willing to write every week for them. And just same thing with you, put myself out there in a position to say yes, and I was it was a great, great learning experience, and we can do this, you can do this, you can grow in your skill set, you can grow in your understanding and you can help and change lots of people's lives in the work that you're doing. And you are discovering that, aren't
1: you? I am. I am. And, you know, it is, it's the unassuming yeses that seem to make the biggest difference. I mean, it's it grows you. I mean, you, may, you, you leave yourself open to say yes to something Um, but it you know it may not be the grand offer that you're hoping for you know if you're thinking success you know success looks a certain way then you know then the little yes that you're saying right now is is probably not for that Mm -hmm. um but it is it is the pathway certainly i was shocked when the
0: when the paper contacted me to, to inform me that the articles that I was writing on a weekly basis were being read 1800 times a weekend and that uh, the American Red Cross there in South Texas hired someone out of Pennsylvania and so she wanted to know what the community was like and began to send off for the local local newspapers. And when she arrived and I met her at Rotary, she said, I know you. And she said, you're the pastor that writes that article of faith every weekend for the San Benito News. And I said, yes, I am. She said, my husband and I read your article every Sunday. That's where we have church in our home with your article and we take communion together and we pray together with your article every Sunday. From wow. South Texas, the southernmost tip of Texas, all the way to Pennsylvania. So I thought that was interesting. So for those that are out there like you, who are moving into this realm of writing and this realm of service and this realm of expression, don't limit how that message in you, those expressed examples, can impact somewhere, someone somewhere where you never dreamed possible sharon you write you believe that people are more alike than different that pain that pain can bring us together rather than dividing us if we are willing to stay sensitive Let's. i want you to talk about that for a little bit
1: okay now i our pain um the life experiences that we have that hurt so badly at times uh, our nature is to protect ourselves from either that pain continuing or future pain like that that you know these red flags go up and we put up a wall and we we develop what i would consider a hardened heart and um that that, that hardened heart is um creates a shell around us. And we, you know, we continue in that looking for ways that I might get hurt. You know, if, if, you know, that if that individual over there is saying something like somebody else said to me before that hurt, I'm not going to be with that individual. And it really cuts us off from each other. And we become very defensive in nature. And if we can back up a moment, take a breath, and realize if I'm soft, then you're more likely to be soft. You know, and even if we have differences, if I respond to your topic with anger and aggression, you're gonna to respond to me in anger and aggression and it just continues to escalate. And I think um, particularly now in where we are culturally in the United States, um there is a lot of aggression happening you know being thrown back and forth and if we can stay sensitive me sensitive to your heart you sensitive to my heart if the agenda is that we find common ground or that we find peace between us then i have to value you and your heart um and to do so means that I need to have, I need to let my walls down. I kind of need to go first in being vulnerable and, and being sensitive.
0: That idea of being willing to go first, man, that's the hard stuff. Letting that pain, acknowledging that pain, but not just your pain, the pain in the situation between potentially us and that other, someone else, whoever that might be. Being willing to acknowledge and respect that they have their pain, you have your pain, and if you do, so if someone is not willing to cross that great divide, the only thing that's going to happen is that root of bitterness, that root of anger, we're going to stay divided and separated instead of seeing that we really can help each other in that moment of distress.
1: When I was, um, when I was going to girls' leadership camp and speaking to that, so the, the, these were young girls getting ready to graduate from secondary school. So they're in their late teens. And, um, here I am a blue eyed, blondish haired woman, you know, rich woman from the United States coming to speak to them. What on earth do we have in common? You know, nothing on the outside if you look at me from the outside you know i've got nothing in common with a maasai teenager Um, but that very first year what i brought to the table was having a father who was abusive and that we could connect on and that was really powerful the room broke down i'm like now i'm breaking down but that pulled down the barriers i was willing to be sensitive about what had happened to me in my life and suddenly it didn't matter what the color of our skin was or the color of our eyes were or where we were from we were all women who had sustained a you know a certain amount of of um, hurt from an individual who should have been our champion and um and we could come together
0: How have you reconciled in your life, in your expressions with examples, in your ministry to others over the years, and now in your writing, how have you managed to not lose your faith and reconcile the pain you experienced at the hand of your father, who was also a pastor, who should have been uh, exemplifying that sense of championship, your champion, and instead he is... For whatever reason the root and the cause of this immense pain that you have how have you managed to keep that uh, reconcile number one within yourself not take it out on everyone else around you or write in anger or right in bitterness but be able to be a, a fountain of healing virtue
1: i th- think for me i have had a fascination with the garden of eden story i mean almost obsessive. (laughs) Um, And the father that we see there creating is not the father that I experienced in in my biological father. And the Jesus that we see in the New Testament is not the man that that I experienced um, at home all the time, you know, my, my dad was not Jesus. Um, and so there was a, there were points in time where, like I said, I had to make decisions. Am I going to choose to believe what the Bible says, or am I going to choose to believe what I think, what pain thinks, what actually what my father says about me? I mean, you know, am I going to choose to believe that? Or am I going to choose to believe this, this word that has spanned thousands of years? Um, and I may, I have made a, a choice that, and that it is healthier for me to believe in love than in fear.
0: I'm writing notes, so I'm not ignoring you. Sure. You know, that's the age-old struggle I think we all have that we have to be mindful of. Are we manifesting in this particular, particular context of this conversation with you? Are we manifesting the nature and the character of Christ as we interact with others? Or are we manifesting, you know, our fallen sin nature where we're angry, hurtful, destructive, cruel, and what happens when we have to live the latter growing up, when it's imposed upon us, and how do we reconcile uh, these biblical truths that that's not the nature of God, that's not the mind of Christ, that's not the heart of God, that someone who is in relationship with him. For whatever reason, that era of their life not reconciled, not restored, not redeemed or sanctified, so to speak. They're still imposing hurt and harm. and But bringing ourselves back to the place where we, we accept that uh, we can't do anything about that. But we can definitely do something about how we choose to live with, put into perspective and surrender to the greater nature of the love of God post-experience?
1: But if I become more like that, more like the pain, then I'm no different. And that's, if I want to be different than those that hurt me, then that means I need to be somewhat the opposite. I need to be loving. And um, and that is my that is my goal is to not be hurting others as I go through life. How did those Maasai? Uh, yeah, yeah. Masai. I'm sorry. Masai, Masai,
0: Masai. Either way. How did those young ladies respond when you began to share your pain and they realized? She's just like us outside of the color of her skin being whatever the perception was in your pain. She's just like us. How did that begin to unfold in your ability to connect one with another
1: and form that relationship? What happened in the immediate was, um, you know, a, a breakdown of emotions. Like the whole room went to tears. Like every girl felt what she had been through. Um, and then other women in leadership there in the camp came forward with their stories. So it opened up the ability to talk, it created a, a, a space of trust that this is a safe place to open up about these things and to try and figure out how do I how do I navigate with this? And so afterwards, there was a QA and a time. And so the girls were then saying, well, you know, what happened with this? What happened? You know, how did you deal with that? And so I had the opportunity to respond one on one, um, and and then pray one on one with the girls that were there. And there were probably 80, 80 girls in that room, something like that. So that in their community, if they could keep that that up, the impact on their community would be huge.
0: That was going to be a follow up point, I was going to make our question, but I want to get to this right now. You're an American, they're Messiah. How did the expression of that pain? Remove the cultural barriers, and if we can remember the expression, the example of our lives can remove cultural barriers and create a place of common ground. What were some of the immediate changes you saw? You mentioned if they could keep that going, so to speak. What were some of the the shifts in the culture, if you can remember from that time frame, that being sensitive to one another's pain, allowing it to bring you together, Cause this is what this conversation we're having about women in leadership. You're a Christian inspirational writer. You have years and years, decades in Christian leadership. How did the being sensitive and sharing pain and writing through expression, living that example, create a cultural shift in the conversation and the relationship?
1: I think partially by, by telling your story, you become an individual you when you share your life experience whether it's in writing or in person and you talk about the vulnerable things of your life or the painful things in your life then you connect with someone on a story level Um, they have a story too and in doing in doing that we don't see We see a bigger picture we don't see just the outside shell of a human body we see the experiences of that individual and a lifeline you know a storyline of what they have experienced and points of that lifeline storyline are going to connect with us because like i said i think that we have more similarities than we have differences and um when we, when we touch on those similarities, then we, we open up to those individuals. And that is, that has been the way my life has unfolded. I'm very much a one-on-one person in a crowded room. I shut down in very quickly. (laughs) That's not my space, but you get me one-on-one and we'll talk deep. Um, and relationships, then you know, I'm, the majority of my relationships are are um, people that are willing to talk about their story and and to go a little deeper than just superficial.
0: I'm smiling because I know that what you're saying is true about you. I'm smiling because this is part of the hesitancy you had in participating in this process with me when I asked you. It's because you have you, this is who you are, you're the one-on-one, sit down, uh, get your scuba gear because we're gonna go all the way in, all right? Make sure your tank is full of oxygen because uh, we're gonna go down in, in, into the darkness. And so I'm smiling because I know that that's who you are and you're able to do that through your writing is you're able to help uh, not only go into those deep, submersive places where there's pain, but you help other people do that and provide that illumination where it's not so dark and scary I, I I don't scuba dive I'm not a water guy that's not something I would ever 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 choose to do but I know darkness is scary and with who you are and what you do especially in your writing and all the one-on-one years decades of ministry that you've had that is your area area of specialty in your area you are a giant slayer in the dark places—that I know to be true about you when you're one-on-one with people. Now let's talk about um, your work. I really want to hear more about your work as a relapse prevention specialist and teacher in residential recovery programs.
1: Okay.
0: Let's start with um, the definition. Is that where, you, if that's what, if that's good for you?
1: I'm sorry. Say that again.
0: Let's start with the Eugene Mission, if that's good for you, or whatever program you'd like.
1: Okay. So, at the time, um, at the time that I got a cold call, actually, from the Eugene Mission um, to to ask if I would be interested in volunteering in their new program, you know, Life Change. This was the, at the point of inception of that program. Um, I was working as a certified specialist in um, fitness nutrition. I was, um, had been in a period of severe back pain because I'd been, I'd sustained an injury and didn't know what to do with myself and had found that that nutrition, while very important to me, um, I was coming up against a barrier because people didn't really wanna change what was working for them um, diet wise. Um, I find same is true in recovery that if, you know, if something's giving you a benefit, you don't wanna, you know, you don't wanna quit that. Um, but I received a cold call saying, I, you know, we have heard through mutual friends that you might be interested in teaching a nutrition class. And, um, and so I said, yes. And, um That opened me up to something completely new, completely foreign to me, despite the fact that I'd shared this story in Kenya, you know, with the girls leadership camp, I didn't feel that I had anything, um, in common with the addicts that I was working with in Eugene at the Eugene mission. And I also volunteered with Ashes to Beauty. Um, but so I was teaching, nutrition and um, the, the woman who was the manager at the time of the program, the women's program, asked me if I was interested in learning the Genesis process, which was their curriculum for um, recovery. And I said, sure, sounds good. And so she led me through the Genesis process personally. And I was stunned. At the power of this tool, and I had not—I was aware of 12-step programs, but um, this one in particular hit me home. And I thought, if my nutrition clients could work with this, I mean, you know, I was—I was thinking everyone needs to to go through the Genesis process, and it is a it is a curriculum that identifies the broken thoughts that you have that you then act out. And um, so I said, I have got to get the training for this and put myself through the training, the Genesis process training actually twice. Um, And then because of that training went on staff. So initially, I was a volunteer in the program teaching nutrition and some PE classes, and then went on staff as their curriculum teacher and helped with the development of the um, the timeline in which it takes to go through that. And the phase, what's now they call phases of the program, um, helped, helped work with the director uh, of the program. So it was the Genesis process that I was teaching in Life Change and Ashes to Beauty. Um,
0: what so what is the genesis process give us a little bit more information about that
1: so it is a um it is a curriculum that is specifically for addiction recovery um, but it applies across the board and um, that is part of my statement of us being more alike than different is that the symptoms that we exhibit in uh when we are in addictive behavior is similar whether whether we shop or eat or do heroin. It's it's the 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 symptoms are the same. Um, so it's identifying the symptoms and then identifying in you know in each individual why you know what what do I think that is kind of the broken thoughts behind what's causing those symptoms. Why am I behaving this way? It's because I think this wrong or false belief is the term in the Genesis process. I believe I'm worthless, therefore I don't try. I believe I'm stupid, therefore I left school. You know, it's, it's learning to understand my behaviors have a, a thought behind them And then being able to partner scripture that counters those beliefs that I am worthless or that I'm, you know, that I'm worth something when I believe I'm worthless, that that God would die for me is not an I am worthless. You know, those things are counter to each other. So it's identifying those thoughts and then countering them with scripture and then risking behaving differently. So rather than when I feel this way, running to you know, drugs, I'm going to do something healthy instead and, um, and watch my life unfold if I do something different. And that, that too is a, a component of staying sensitive.
0: How did going through the training twice help you personally?
1: Uh, I I worked through my own personal stuff. When you go through the training, which is intensive, it is a week long, all day, every day. Um, so five days of intense tr- um, instruction on the material while you're also going through it yourself. So you're digging through your own broken heart and putting that out on paper and meeting with your fellow student to talk about these things. Um, And so I had the ability to work through some of my own personal hurts and in teaching in teaching the Genesis process was able to say, you know, talk about my own stuff. Ashes
0: to Beauty what is the mission of Ashes to Beauty what's the difference between what you were doing at women's life change program at the Eugene Mission and what was the function or the role of Ashes to Beauty
1: I had the same role so I was the genesis process um, teacher at Ashes to Beauty and um, that also was a a residential recovery home for uh, women women with children too it's, it's no longer functioning in, in that role, but um, that was the, at the time.
0: And when did you get, uh, when did you realize that you needed to start writing? It says here, it was at, at the time of your employment at the Eugene mission, Sharon began writing the curriculum and Bible devotions she was teaching. When did you get that epiphany that I need to start documenting this because this is gonna, this can really, help someone this has true power to change someone's life
1: when i was working so i was doing it i mean, i was doing it for the teaching you know so i was doing it for the job and i wasn't forward thinking except that there was this implant of this novel and And you know what I—the plan for the novel was that I would take the Adam and Eve, specifically Eve, and give her an addictive personality. Personality. What you know, their behaviors were because of some false beliefs that they had, and so basically rewriting that garden story. And um, so writing, I never, I I couldn't say that I documented anything, except that my life has been completely changed because of the Genesis process. The way I think about my behaviors is, um, is, has been changed. And so that is, that's where my writing fits in with, I pull out what's really happening behind the scenes when I'm going through a stressful time.
0: I I really like that idea, uh, pull out what's really going on behind the scenes. Talk about that a little bit. You're, you know, you're hypothetically, you're in the room with 500 people that are just struggling, trying to understand what is going on in my life and why can't I get better, how would you help them pull out what's going on behind the scenes?
1: The biggest question is, what are you afraid of? And that gets to the root of if you're willing to really answer that question. Most, most often for women, it's I'm afraid to be abandoned. And for most men, it's I'm afraid I'm worthless um, it's, it's difficult for people to get to that level. And, and a lot of people don't want to get to the, a lot of people don't want to go there. Um, but that is, if you are willing to identify, um, what it is that's really bothering you in a situation, then you once you, once you've identified it, you can treat it. That's half the battle right there is if you name it, and you can treat
0: it. I had to stop writing for a second because what you said just really impacted me. You just said if you can name it you can treat it and we all have those things that we really have to sit back. For so long I was a mess Sharon You know, my father died when I was 7, he was 39, he died of a heart attack, my mother drowned when she was 40, I was 10. Grew up with different family members, lots of different kinds of abuses. Uh, I was a mess for years, Sharon. Before I finally got into some counseling in in the army, I came up positive on a drug test. and. It was actually a, my company commander who was a Christian man who began to talk to me using scriptures and that's really what began to turn my life around but getting the counseling identifying those things that were really deep on the inside of who I was and that was driving all this negative behavior and once I did that my life began to radically turn around with what you just said, if you could name it, you can treat it. And the profound question that I think all of us need to be prepared to ask ourselves in any given situation is what are you afraid of? What are you, what is keeping you from stepping forward? You said yes, multiple times to what may have seemed like benign questions. Well, maybe this will work out. Maybe it won't. Let's just see what happens. And then with those simple yeses, a new place of destiny begins to unfold in your life. And this is what we're talking about today is this new role you're playing as a Christian inspirational writer. Here you are in retirement and you've got this new place where the sky is the limit. Because you've done all this really hard work, and you can now talk about verbally, in writing, in context, with uh, a sense of health and and awareness that you can help create change in others to help pull them out of those places, to identify, pull out what's going on behind the scenes, what are you afraid of, and if you can name it, you can treat it. The light bulbs in my brain are firing right now, and all kinds of things are happening inside of my physical body. Just saying those things out loud—is this the kind of responses you've been getting from others in the things you communicate verbally and in written expression?
1: I would say that that you what you're talking about your experience right now is the common experience going through the Genesis process that there's this, these light bulbs that go on. Oh my goodness. Oh my, you know, that, and that was my experience too. And that's why I said, I've got to, you know, I've got to get trained in this, um, writing because I'm reaching a reader and not a, you know, I'm not one-on-one. I'm not, I, you know, I get fairly little feedback, um, is, is a harder one for me because i'm not getting feedback i don't get to see the facial expression i don't get to see the tears that come with those aha moments and those those breakthrough moments and um i miss that honestly um i used to think it a successful day when i brought someone to tears <laughs> um but but i know that it's there too i know that it's there
0: How did you come to a place, a final reconciliation with the relationship you had with your father and the hurt and the harm that he brought to your life?
1: He died in November, this last November. So it's a lot of people have offered their condolences to me about that and have um, he was a broken man. And I, I know now that had he been sensitive, had he had he been vulnerable, had he sought help for the things that were going on behind the scenes, the end of the story would have been a lot different. But you know, one of the things that I recognize about myself is that, you know, I am broken too. And one of the reasons is because he was broken, you know, and my children are broken. And one of the reasons is, is because I am broken and that I can't, you know, I am not perfect. He was not perfect. Um, and so I can have, I can have grace for him, I can forgive him because it, it helps things improve going forward that I can improve going forward. If I let go of, um, the binds of the pain. And so, um, I, I am relieved for him to have passed on, um, and to be, he was suffered for a long time in his physical body. So I'm relieved for him. And, um, and I honestly am relieved for me too. Um, that it's that we can all just kind of um, go forward in a new relationship. And, you know, that the, the heaven relationship that we get to have, the perfect relationship is yet to come.
0: I want to push you a little bit on this issue because you're an inspirational writer and I think there's another profound message in you in the question that I'm, I want to ask. How do we, how did you, how are you with this realization? You said by pulling out what was behind the scenes, the end of the story would have been different. How can you make things different? Thank you for your vulnerability and saying you had damage, your kids have damage. Because I want to say for the record, we're all broken. And I want to agree with you. And we create brokenness in people and places and things around us. And if we don't work, do the work to get better, to understand it, to face it, to face the fear, name it so you can fix it, then we continue on in that brokenness. So I'm with you, been there, done that, fight it every day, struggle with it every day. How have you been managing to pull out from what is behind the scenes in your life so that your end story can be different with those you love and those closest to you?
1: Well, uh, you know, I'm known as being a pretty chill individual, you know, that I'm laid back, that I'm, you know, quiet, but I'm also um, You know, my my life is pretty mellow, Um, but the the rage of the household that I grew up in um, can manifest in me. And I can remember being pushed, you know, when my kids were little to that point of rage. And while um, I don't know, you know, I didn't ever lash out, I was yelling and that was scary. And the looks on my kids' faces were horror. And going forward in life, once my kids became strong enough to say, when you get angry, I'm afraid, that hit me you know, straight in the heart and being willing to say you're right that's a scary thing i can't afford to do that i'm really sorry and to to own it and say i'm i'm wrong and help me be better i will get the help that i need but you have permission to call me out that giving somebody permission to call you out that accountability really helps with continual change and the vulnerability piece owning up to what you have done may, helps to make the change as well so um i've now forgotten the question that you <laughs> had for me um but that Repeating the generational curse, if you will, of rage and fear is not okay with me. I wanna break it. And I am hoping, I'm praying that what, the way I'm behaving today is the opposite behavior, is a chain breaking behavior, and that my kids won't continue on in, that behavior.
0: Have you had, if you don't mind my asking, you can tell me, you don't want to answer this, but it's it's a respectful question. Do you feel like your kids or your children now at this stage in their life are learning how to identify, to name it so that they can fix it or identify some of these areas that may have been broken in you so uh, they can move on from that?
1: I I think that I have much more patience now for young people that they are not. One one of the things that I recognize is that when I learn something new, I want to share that something new. And as I mature forward, I expect them to because I'm telling them to, but they're not there. And the individual if a young person is ready to quit sowing their wild oats, that's pretty rare. Um, but the, the process begins, I think, in in the early 20s, that that maturity level starts to turn. It's not just um, and they're seeing consequences. Because they are responsible for their consequences, and or they should be held responsible, um, and so that that is my expectation. Is uh, you know I have to drop the perfectionism, mm-hmm. that you know that I'm a work in progress and they're a work in progress, but they're behind me in that in that timeline in their storyline. There are things that have yet to happen in their lives that will help them along this way. And so even now, if I get angry to rage point, you know, that's not a failure necessarily on my part. It's just that I'm not perfected in it yet.
0: You know, um, I I wanna talk about this just for a quick minute. You know, this is important. We have to drop the perfectionism and others are behind us in their own storyline and on their own timeline. And there are things I believe we will always wrestle with, that we have to do the hard work to keep things at bay. I don't think we'll ever be in such a place where, you know, my father was in multiple tours of combat from a very young age. He could be very violent in the home And I never really understood that until years later, I think I was about 16, and uh, my grandmother started telling me stories about my grandfather, my father's father, and how his parents died like my parents died. And he grew up with, his, I believe his mom's sister, and her husband didn't want my grandfather didn't want him in the house, didn't want to be responsible for him. So you're talking early 1900s. So he would beat my grandfather on a daily basis just out of sheer rage and hate for being in the home and being a burden. So when my grandfather had three sons, he remodeled that. And he was very physical. And my grandmother told me, Because I the the conversation started because I would ask her, Grandma, why did why did Daddy hit us so much with the belt? And she's the one that that's just how this came about about about, sorry. And I say I'm getting emotional talking about losing my ability to speak coherently. And she said he would beat my dad and his two brothers. My grandfather would severely. And she would go to him and and say, Pedro, stop it. You're gonna kill them. It's enough. And he would say to her, I say when it's enough. You don't say when it's enough. And it turns out that that's what the, the man that was beating him would say, the very same things, and he modeled that. And so that is the coping mechanism my father knew and my mother had grown up being severely physically abused so there was a heavy hand in our in our home and it's caused a lot of trauma to all of us as people i wish that you know my parents died in the early 70s so that we there wasn't we weren't having conversations about that we weren't having conversations about depression everybody was whacking on you sharon they hit you in school they hit you with paddles they hit you with belts Coaches would hit you, the principals hit you, your teachers hit you. In Catholic school, they would slap us and and all those things. And so now we're in a different age where we all have to learn to be different. And thank God for it, that we're in a different age. And we have to be willing to go back to that place of what are you afraid of? What's the issue? Can you name it so you can fix it? drop the perfectionism because none of us are perfect and others people around us are in different places of their storyline and we have to be sensitive we have to be vulnerable you said encouraging the disheartened to take hold of their faith to trust in the love of god because you believe that people are more alike than different and that pain can bring us together rather than dividing us if we are willing to stay sensitive and it's that reminder of being willing to say stay sensitive that can help us bridge those gaps where we can be better more kind more gentle one to another would you agree with that
1: i completely agree with that yes well said
0: Precious Life International, what is that?
1: Uh, Precious Life International was a, it is a, I, I am no longer working with or through them, but they were a, um, similar to Compassion, um, but just with the Maasai community. Mm-hmm. Um, they were, it was a, um, I lost my word, a sponsorship program for girls for Maasai girls to get them in school and in their culture at the time uh, if a girl was in school then she would be safe from being married or to for being mutilated or you know that as long as she was in school and this was apparently written in their law don't quote me on that but if you're if you're in school then these things can't happen out of school you know, and so if you've got, if you're a Maasai father and you've got multiple children and, you know, and the culture is that boys are more productive or more profitable than girls, then you don't put the girls in school. You know, it's culturally, um, girls were more beneficial for what they could um, produce, you know, what they could be sold for. Um, so the, the Precious Life International was um, was a strong organization that was looking to reverse that by either keeping girls in school or putting girls in school, basically rescuing girls from um, from the fate of being sold so um, that they they worked out of Spokane here. And I think that they're still in operation um, but I, so I had sponsored a handful of girls over the years through that organization, as well as traveling there.
0: Sharon, what did you learn about yourself in your bodybuilding shows, your nutrition, your training, the things that were required to get to that level?
1: Um, that was a crazy wild time in my life. That was a, one of those... It was only a couple of years of my life, but it was a smack upside the head kind of couple of years that um, some really big changes happened in me physically at a time when I really needed change because things weren't going so well with me mentally. Mm-hmm. And so I was pouring a lot of anger into the gym and um, the the year that I um, that I first competed in, competed in bodybuilding competitions, I had, the plan was to run the Eugene marathon and I was training for that. And I had hired a trainer, um, to help me with that. And then I was injured and I wasn't respecting rest, which kind of comes back around to this Hawaiian house of rest and respecting downtime. Um, so I learned, I learned discipline, and the power of discipline during that time, that if you focus, you can really, um, achieve amazing things. But if you don't respect what you need, what your, you know, your, either your physical body needs or your mental body needs, if you don't, and you don't respect rest because it's in the rest that you rebuild, Mm -hmm. then, um, then you will self-destruct. That's some
0: heavy stuff. We forget. You said it's in the rest that we rebuild. And if we don't rest, we self-destruct. When you began this process, were you doing all of these things to keep from self-destructing?
1: I'm sorry i didn't quite hear the question
0: when you began this process bodybuilding nutrition all of these things were were you using activities to keep yourself engaged to keep from having to rest to keep from having to deal with what was going on on the inside
1: i was trying to prove myself um and i wasn't really aware of you know i was aware that i was really hurt you know that there was there were things happening in my life at that time that were extremely painful and that had brought up a lot of the pain of youth. You know that the mind sort of links those things together, and so I was I was using the gym to work through those things. And in Genesis Process Lingo, I was speeding up, um, outrunning the bear, as it were. Um, so that was, and it wasn't until. I stopped or was forced to stop that I took the time then to look at what was going on. And I, it, had I not gotten hurt, I wouldn't have gone there.
0: And what did you learn in that place of forced rest about you?
1: Um, I learned that I am I am strong, but the strength isn't what I thought. That power isn't what I thought. Um, and some of the things that I had, some of the so the Bible study um, habits that I had started just before going into the season were the power that I needed to come out of the, of that season. Okay. And that the mind is so much stronger than the body and even in health, how you think plays so much, um, plays so much of a strong role in, um, and how well you are—not just how you look. You know, you can look really strong. I mean, you can look really fit and you know defined and you know on the outside, and be corroding away on the inside, and um, and you've got even yourself fooled.
0: Ain't that the truth? I only giggle because been there, done that, I don't know how many times in my life and had to come back to that place of, you know, the Bible says God requires truth in the inward parts. He wants truth deep down inside of us. And if we don't have that truth, we're going to have that sense of being lost and confused and, and having that inability to rest, right? Biblically, we accept the paradigm, or the, the concept or the statement that, the the rest the ability to rest the rest of god is the gift of god and that we have to come to that place of rest to get the benefits of that gift in closing sharon what final comments would you like to make about the work that you're doing and words of encouragement to those that will see this and hear this
1: um i think that um you know, I'm drawing on sort of that bodybuilding training experience uh, And writing is an isolating, you know, event, you can't, you know, you can't have a whole lot going on around you and, and try to concentrate on, on writing something. Um, but it's something that I want to do or want to continue to do. And so I have to let go of what I think the end result needs to be and just focus on doing it. Um, And so I encourage other people as well and um, don't try it to foresee the future that, um, you know, the energy in the right now is creating a future and um, that rest is essential and um, that God is truth and God is love. I mean, bottom line for me is that, that, you know, that has to be the message um, that I end with is that love is waiting for you.
0: Very good. Ladies and gentlemen, we've had with us today a Molina Leadership Solutions Women in Leadership Series, Ms. Sharon Musgrove. She's a Christian inspirational writer with a focus on encouraging the disheartened to take hold of their faith and trust in the love of God. I leave you with the thought, uh, the, her, her foundation. Sharon believes that people are more alike than different and that pain can bring us together rather than dividing us if we are willing to stay sensitive. So I wanna encourage all of us to remember to be sensitive one to another and remember that we have common ground and we can make a difference in one another's lives. Sharon, thank you for being here today. Thank you for making time for uh, this process and for me and in your last couple of weeks in Hawaii as you prepare to come back. It's cold here, so please don't come back in shorts (laughs) and a tank top because you're going to be shocked.
1: uh, Thank you, Mark.
0: You're welcome. We wish you and Jeff all the best and and a safe return.
1: Thank
0: you. Have a very good day. You too. Bye-bye.